0: Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the
1: law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Welcome to another edition of Life, Death, and the Law. This is Sean Garner. I'm in studio with Cody Beeson and uh, Adam Hanson. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, good morning. So today we were going to talk about a favorite book of mine, Uncle Tom's Cabin. All right. Now, this was a book that was a bestseller in the 19th century. In fact, it potentially propelled the nation a little bit closer to the Civil War that was pending. Uh, Abraham Lincoln is known for a quote. It's unverified whether he really said it, but something similar was likely said when he met the author of the book, Harriet Beecher Stowe. And he, he said, so you're the little woman that created this big war. And it's about, obviously, the Southern treatment of slaves and abolition. And it's written in such a way that it just really grips the reader. It it shows them insight into the life of what it would be like to be a slave and also to be a Christian. And so it's not just all darkness and torture and misery. It's a lot of light and compassion and love and forgiveness at the same time it teaches the reason i want to talk about it on the radio show and the reason i love it so much today as as much as i believe readers probably loved it back in the 1850s when it was written is because the 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 principles that it teaches are the same today and have the same healing power for our nation as it struggles with this rift between it as it did before it, it wasn't a story to incite a war it was a story to demonstrate the divide between us Americans and help us reunite as a country under moral standards that should be upheld across humanity Cody what was your what was the last time you really sat down, and and thought about this book and felt what 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 how it applied to you in our society today? Well, I, I read the wrong book.
0: I read the book about climate change, <laughs> Uncle Uncle Tom's Carbon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a big deal too. Uncle Tom's Carbon. Okay. Uncle Tom's Carbon. Yeah, that was the climate change. I'm kidding. No, uh, no. So it, it's a. Uh, it's been a while, I mean, obviously since high school, but it still uh, resonates today. I mean, the fact that we're still dealing with these issues and uh, what a progressive book to say the least. I mean, if really the time uh, that it was written and you think about, you know, the, the women's suffrage movement and that wasn't happening at the time. But clearly um, that was a, a topic of the times because it was it was very prevalent in this book. Um, and that being said, uh, just the whole story where it comes full circle and like you said, the, the mix, mixing of, of Christianity and, and really forcing you to, to, I guess, deal with the slavery concept. And think about it at a time when like, slavery was legal. I mean, that, that, was, yeah. that was common back then. And you go to church on Sunday and you still accept this, this principle that you're allowed to own other people. Right. For your farm right. or whatever, right. you the know? the same
1: people that lived in the South and were yeah. practicing the institution were reading the same Bible as those from the North that despised the institution. I mean, they're probably Democrats, but yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, they were.
1: <laughs> right. And um, so let, let's get into a little bit about what the summary of the story is, just to refresh our reader's mind. I'm sure that our audience, it's a well-educated audience that listens to this podcast and to this radio show. And so, I'm sure all of you have read several times this book, but uh, just just for funsies, let's go over a summary of the key elements and uh, characters in the story. So, it starts out in Kentucky, where I went to law school. I went to Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, there's Arthur Shelby with his wife, and they're very pious people. They're, They're loving characters. They are on a plantation, and they are slave owners, and they do disagree with the institution of slavery. However, Arthur feels like, as an individual, it's just something that, it's a societal norm, and it, he participates in it because he is just one very small character in a very large society. And Mrs. Shelby, she's more sensitive to the morality of it, and, and says, no, you know, it's an immoral thing, and, and we shouldn't be practicing it. And also, she—they both treat their slaves very kindly, to the extent that one person that owns another individual can. And I I suppose you You, can—you can treat somebody very kindly and and still fit within that realm, although immoral as it is. Um, So, turns out that Mister Shelby has got himself into some serious debt, and a slave trader is at his door, and he's you know. He's a slave trader, so he's not a nice guy. He, he buys and sells humans for a living. And uh, he is driving a hard bargain with Mr. Shelby and basically threatening him to take his farm unless he sells him the slaves of his choice. Turns out the slaves of his choice are Uncle Tom, a very pious Christian individual who is also well-read and has been running the farm and just a great manager of industry in general. And so Mr. Shelby doesn't want to sell him because he's a friend and he's very valuable to his farm and his plantation in general. And he also notices this really funny and intelligent and good-looking young boy that he wants to purchase as well. And he wants these two because they'll be easier to sell when he takes them down the river into the deep south and um, sells them in, I I believe it's New Orleans where they're heading to go commence the slave sale. So he agrees, Mr. Shelby very reluctantly agrees, um, to sell these two individuals. Uncle Tom, he's a middle-aged man. He has a family. He has a couple young kids. He has his wife that lives there on the plantation. She's the cook for the Shelbys. And um, she is obviously distraught at this Shelby's wife is distraught over this and more so than ever the mother of the young boy who is sold his name is um Henry I believe he is or harry his name's harry she's distraught and her name's Eliza and she's she's more than distraught she, she's not accepting this this is unacceptable for her she's going to make a break for it um, Mrs. Shelby allows the news to be spread through the grapevine that this transaction is going to occur. In fact, Eliza overhears the conversation between uh, Mr. Shelby and the slave trader. And uh, so she says, I'm, I'm going to make a run for it. And Mrs. Shelby kind of directs the others, the other slaves there that are watching, um, to create a distraction and, and slow down the slave trader in his pursuit ...of these individuals, and so they do. And she gets to the Ohio River, and it's got chunks of ice flowing through it. And there's no ferry going across. The slave trader's hot on her heels. So she makes this daring jump from iceberg to iceberg to get across the river... ...thinking, if I die, I die. It's better than losing my son to be sold down south. And um, she gets across the river and an individual helps her up the bank on the other side, so she's now in the free state of Ohio. And at that point, there is a senator that comes home and is speaking to his wife. And one of the great quotes of the book comes up, and it's between the senator and his wife about a new law that just got passed in Ohio about runaway slaves and whether or not you can provide safe harbor four slaves that have run away, which prior to that time had been allowed, but now this new law says it's going to be illegal to give any harbor or aid or, or, or um, food assistance to any runaway slaves. So his wife, when he comes home, he's been out, he's been at the legislature, and this law has been passed. He, in fact, voted for it. He argued against it, yet... Uh, How politics go, they argued against him and argued that for the benefit of the state, it's not good for us to go contrary to our states to the south and um, create animosity with them. So we need to pass this law. He disagrees with it, but goes against his feelings and his sense of morality and, and votes for the law. And he explains this to his wife. And this is what she has to say. This is their exchange back and forth. You ought to be ashamed, John. His name is John Bird. Poor, homeless, houseless creatures. It's a shameful, wicked, abominable law, and I'll break it for one. The first time I get a chance, and I hope I shall have a chance. I do. Things have got to be pretty bad If a woman can't give a warm supper and a bed to a poor starving creature just because they are slaves and have been abused and oppressed all their lives, poor things. But Mary, just listen to me. Your feelings are all quite right, dear. But then, dear, we mustn't suffer our feelings to run away with our judgment. You must consider it's not a matter of private feelings. There's the great public interest involved there is a state of public agitation arising that we must put aside our private feelings. Now, John, I don't know anything about politics, but I can read my Bible, and there I see that I must feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and comfort the desolate. And that Bible I mean to follow. Moments later, there's a knock on their door, and it's none other than, Then Eliza and her son, who is to be sold with the slave trader hot on their heels, Harry. And they're soaking wet, nearly frozen to death, and neither of them have a conversation at that point. They bring them in, they give them their clothes, they had just lost a boy about Harry's age, and so his Clothes and his things were still kept in a chest. And it was really tugging at their heartstrings. It had only been a month since they lost him to even look at the chest of clothes and his personal items. And by the end of their encounter, Harry is all fitted up with their lost son's clothes. And she is fitted up with um, the shawl of Mrs. Bird and sent to a place of an individual who had recently sold all of his, not sold, set free all of his slaves in Kentucky and moved to Ohio and sworn to fight for abolition the rest of his life and sent there for further protection to get away from these slave traders. So you see the dynamics of these characters. There's individuals, both Mr. Shelby and Mrs. Shelby, in Kentucky that are participating in the institution of slavery, but disagree with it. And then there's the bird, Senator Byrd and his wife, that disagree with slavery, yet are going to allow it to continue. At least the husbands in both these situations are the ones that are propelling it forward. And and the morality is really coming from the wife. The morality is coming from the wife. And the husband never disagrees with the wife about the morality. But as husbands do, are experts at justifying their actions in spite of morality. Like in the real world? Yeah. Like that's how it really works? Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm supposed to be doing A, B, and C, honey, but um, I got to work or I got to do this, and, and that's why I'm doing it. I know you're right about what's most important in life, but for right now, this is what I've got to do. And this book really brings it home. And in our society today, we face that. I mean, we... We're enslaved with a lot of different things. Now, I'm not trying to um, lessen the, the wickedness and abomination that slavery was, but there are a lot of trials that we face today with just being greedy and trying to fight other social ills in, in society. I'm, I can't find one that I can even compare to one that was as wicked as slavery. Well, I mean, slavery is still going on. Yeah, I, I guess and, – and I guess that's the point. We we just had this movie come out that's The Sound of Freedom that that sheds light on the fact that there is human slavery occurring, that there's human trafficking going on, and, and, and specifically for the sex trade. And that is a horrible thing, and for some reason, it became a political issue where – People started to attend this movie in bigger numbers than were anticipated, and the mainstream media started to cast this dark light on it as if it was overreacting to the real problem, that it was overstating the issue. And if anything, it was only hitting the tip of the iceberg. So I could not understand any justification there. In reality, the, the party, the Democrat Party, that would typically be um, sympathetic to the downtrodden and, and the victims of tyranny and, and those who are rich and, and have access to wealth we're saying, this isn't a problem. These people really aren't being c- gathered together and sold as a commodity a- as you're putting forth in this movie. And the reality is, yes, they are. Why, why would you ever try to defend or downplay child sex trafficking? It's indefensible.
0: Well, from my understanding, there's more slavery in the world today than there has ever been in history.
1: Yeah, and and I think a lot of... That is true, number one. I mean, if you look at China and Africa and Asia, like, it's... It's, it's true, a, and I think, I think a... Part of that, and I don't know all the statistics, but I think a big part of that is just because our population is so much larger. I don't know that the the percentage of enslaved individuals, as it goes against the total percentage of the population of the world, is is bigger. But for sure, there are more people enslaved. There are millions of people enslaved right now around the world. And um, every year, 200,000 children get sold for sex trade in, I believe it's the United States. That, that, that's what the statistic was. That's what the movie came out with. And uh, go and watch the movie. Fact check me on this. But 200,000. And that is just sickening. And this isn't... Uh, slavery is indefensible in any situation. And in the institution back in the pre-Civil War era was for production, mainly. Now, obviously, they abused it, and there was, there, there was sexual abuse, and um, that happened quite frequently. However, in this case, it's almost primarily for sexual exploitation. A single child, the statistic that they showed in that movie, could be sold six times in a single day. And uh, it's sobering to think about. So there are some very wicked instances of slavery being perpetuated into our generation it's not a societal norm that's the big difference it's not accepted openly in society Um, I think we need to open our eyes more to how it is occurring in the underworld and we need to do whatever we can first of all become educated about it in order to stop it we have to take a break but we'll be back this is life death and the law Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life,
0: death, and the law, right after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deeson Garner, and Hanson,
1: the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. I'm in studio here with Adam Hanson and Cody Beeson. We're talking about Uncle Tom's Cabin. If you, I know you've read it. Everybody should have read it. It should be required reading to graduate high school. But I know that I didn't get nearly the understanding that I should have when I read it originally in high school. I read it again about 15 years ago and uh, when I was in law school. And it wasn't required reading. I just wanted a novel to read. And so I read it. And uh, it came up. I was working in my garage. And I said, hey, Audible on my um, Alexa device, play a book for me. And it chose Uncle Tom's Cabin. And so it was kind of fortuitous that this came about and it started playing and I'm working on the car and I'm just like enthralled with this book. And it hit me so hard with the deeper underlying applications that apply to us every day about how we need to look at what life is really all about. And whether or not we're just going through our day-to-day motions as zombies, participating in society, and going along with the social norms without taking an outsider, broader perspective look as to whether or not what we're doing is right or wrong. And moreover, what we attribute our energy and our resources to is to further justice and further what our purpose here on earth is all about. So, Cody, if you had to describe in, in a summary sentence what your purpose, what your existence is all about here, is it to be a comedian, a radio jockey, is it to be a mechanic, and I know you do a lot of different things, what, what is your overall purpose
0: Oh mercy! I How's know it's, it's a deep yeah, question. That is deep for a Monday morning radio and, and, program. And, and I want
1: our audience to yeah. think about that too. What 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 are you doing as you drive to work each day? What is your purpose? And is, is your daily activity furthering that purpose, or is it just kind of having you sleepwalk through life?
0: I I hope I'm not sleepwalking. I hope there there is something there. But I mean, ultimately, I mean, my goal is to, to build something. I I don't know about you, but I I need to be inspired and sometimes you know if you're not you get into a creative you know like valley so unless i have something to, to encourage me to, to build or create so that's kind of what drives me is working on a project i mean i kind of see that with you like you're an attorney but you have a farm yeah i mean so you have
1: your projects so here here is my purpose in life okay it's to become the best person that I can be, that I I believe that I'm an eternal being, that I always existed, that this period here in life is just a mortal experience to test how I'm going to react with my eternal spirit, opposing the mortal appetites that are existent as I participate in this experience. I've got this body that's got appetites, and I, I need to keep those appetites in check. Now, a lot of those appetites are, are good. I need to be hungry, literally appetite, to eat food, otherwise I'm going to starve to death. But I can shy away from the sweets and go towards the more healthy food if I want to continue to be healthy. And taking care of my body is a sign of respect to myself overall that, um, that I respect my body and I respect what I've been given from God. I also want to show that I respect the time that I've been given to further my intellect. And I also want to further my compassion and my patience. And in order to do that, I think it's necessary to participate in the lives of children. Now, as a father, there's no better way to learn patience than to hang around your kids for a little while. (laughs) And so that's, that's taught me patience like nothing else could. But I could also never have understood love the way that I do with my kids. In fact, I've told this story before that when I had my first daughter, um, I loved her so much. I was just, my heart would burst every time I'd see her. And I thought, there's no way I'll ever let anything happen to this girl. I will gladly throw my life in front of a car or a train or anything to save her life. Then the the discussion came up about having another child, and I told my wife this very seriously. I don't think it's fair because I love this baby so much. There's no possible way I can love another child as much as I love this kid, and um, she kind of laughed at that, but it was reality. That's the way I felt. Now, as I had my second child— my ability to love grew. And so it wasn't that I had to take the portion of love that I had for her and and give some to him. I just grew in my capacity to love. And and it happened with each successive child. And so that's how it works for me. and And I think that God wants us to learn what love is, and the only way for us to do it is to participate in some way what he is participating in by having children here on earth and loving them, and we can't understand that until we actually participate in it now, you might not have your own biological children, but you can still participate in a way of loving other individuals that demonstrates that godly love loving and charity that is a characteristic that I believe is our purpose here in life to develop and As we go into the next life, it'll carry us on, and everything that we acquire here will be able to bring with us as as far as the integrity and the the good and the bad characteristics that we develop. So that that's it. I know I'm getting a little deep and serious, and I'm not trying to, but Uncle Tom's Cabin, he is a deeply devoted Christian. And as he gets sold, so we've got Eliza that she runs up north. She crosses the, the uh, Ohio. She's safe for the moment. The slave traders are still hot on her trail. And um, Uncle Tom, he just concedes to his fate. And so he goes and he's sold down river. And as he's going down the Mississippi on the boat, he runs into... This girl named Eva. And Eva is the embodiment of a Christian individual. She is just absolutely a loving individual. She she does not see color. She loves everybody around her. And her and Tom form a close friendship on their two-week journey down to the south. And they are on the ship and, and she gets too close to the edge and falls overboard. And without a second thought, he jumps over and grabs her and lifts her up to a whole crowd of people that are reaching over the side of the boat to pick her up and bring her back over. Now, the irony there, and Stowe, the author, is, is amazing at pointing these out, is that there was another woman that was um, also a slave on that boat going south. And at one of the stops in Louisville, somebody offered a price to her master or the slave trader for her baby. And while she was sleeping, they agreed to the sale. And so the baby was sold and taken while she was sleeping. So when she woke up, she has no more baby. And the slave trader tells her, listen, the baby was sold. And so she casts herself overboard, and nobody rescues her. She's drowned in the Mississippi. But when this little girl, who is white, Jump or doesn't jump over, but falls over. Uncle Tom jumps over, and the only real compassion for him is that he does something noble and rescues this, this white young girl and lifts her up, and the whole boat is reaching over to the side to pick her up and, and rescue her her father sees that she wants Uncle Tom to stay with her, and so she begs her father to buy Uncle Tom, and his name is Augustine St. Clair. And he is a moral individual. He disagrees with the institution of slavery, but he doesn't have the spine to stand up against it. So, He he convinces himself that I'm one individual. What can one individual do against an institution that is so pervasive? And if you think about it at the time as well, it's an institution that had been practiced uninterrupted for all of human history, literally thousands of years. And so it's not just this is a large institution in the United States. Um, Of course, it had been abolished in England recently recently. But that was an exception to the rule. Yeah, but how about all the colonies? Right. It, it know, wasn't like, abolished in the English colonies. Yeah. And, Between the lines. Right. And, of course, the United States was not an English colony, and it was its own independent country. But that, that is the, the, the backdrop here that this isn't just an institution of in the United States. This is a worldwide institution, and it's not a new concept. It's a concept that has always been around. And, and for an individual, he's not in politics— he, he doesn't care to be. He's a very kind of um, carefree guy. He's independently wealthy, and so he doesn't want to shake the boat. He's very, very nice and generous, so he, he buys Uncle Tom, and Uncle Tom and Eva become great friends. He becomes somebody that is, is with her, her protector, her mentor. They share a lot in common in their um, Christian ideals, and they are friends to all of those around them. He helps run um, Augustine's household, and he doesn't have a plantation, but he does have a large household. He helps run it, and he's very industrious. And he grows so fond of Uncle Tom because he's such a great person that uh, he promises him, I'm going to set you free. It's just, it's not right for someone to be kept in in servitude, in bondage. And so I'm going to set you free. So now Uncle Tom has this glimmer of hope that he's going to be reunited with his family up back north in Kentucky. And um, it turns out Augustine confides this in his sister, and his sister says, you need to do this right away. And he says, I'll I'll get around to it by and by. I'm a young man. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put the paperwork in motion. Well, he doesn't do it. All it takes is you take out a paper, you write it down, and it's done. But he doesn't do it. So he goes out one night and there's a fight that breaks out at the, at the bar or saloon that he's at. And uh, he tries to break it up, and he gets stabbed and brought home. And on his deathbed, he apologizes to Uncle Tom for not having done it, that he should have done it, but it's now too late. He's, just, he's not able to move, and um, he sees his mother who's in heaven, and that's it. He dies. So Uncle Tom now is subject to an estate sale. And I guess that kind of wraps around full circle to what we're talking about. Don't put off your affairs, right? You never know when the end is near. I thought we were going to talk about funding. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you don't know when it's going to happen. And what happens here is catastrophe because um, Augustine's wife is a tyrant. Her name is Marie. She was brought up in opulence. She was a wealthy heiress and everything to her – is unsatisfactory she's always got if somebody's got a headache she's got a worse one if somebody's got a cough she knows that sickness worse than them and so she's always the complainer never content the slaves are never good enough they're, they're just a lower society of humanity or a lower class of humanity so she's a terrible person And so now she's in charge of the estate. So she just puts him up for auction. She's going to move somewhere else. And, um, of course, this ruthless tyrant comes and buys Uncle Tom at auction. And his name is Simon LeCree. And he's a Louisiana plantation owner. He takes him down. And he means to have him look over his plantation. But he does it with brutality. So he basically trains certain slaves he gives them some level of responsibility and um, some comforts in life, then they will obey his every command. They will let him know if anybody's trying to escape. They will beat those who are not working hard enough, and they will become better watchers over the rest of the slaves than any hired man could be because they've got more to lose if they don't. And so that's his idea for Uncle Tom. And so the first time that he orders Uncle Tom to beat a slave for not getting in their quota of cotton that day, he refuses. And he says, if you refuse, I'm going to beat you. And Uncle Tom says, well, you can do whatever you want. I pray that you don't. Not for my sake, but you don't, I don't want this sin to be upon your head. I have done nothing wrong. And so if you beat me, it'll be a sin upon your head. And... Simon Lecree is the embodiment embodiment of Satan. He's is this horrible very hard individual. And so he he wants to beat this piety out of Uncle Tom. And he intends to do it. So he, he t- tries to beat him. He makes him basically incapable of working for several weeks until he can recover. And uh <clears throat> one of the slaves that he has as a mistress basically as a sex slave there on the farm, Cassie begs him to stop doing this, he's he's just wasting property. If nothing else, he tries she tries to appeal to his business senses and says, "Why why would you destroy his capability of just being a productive person on the farm?" And um, so he stops beating Uncle Tom for the time. Then, turns out things get worse for Cassie and uh, Simon Legree has also purchased somebody else who he plans on replacing Cassie because, you know, she's getting old and worn out. Cassie sees that uh, Simon Legree is is now going to make Emmeline, who is this young girl, probably 14 years old or so, um, become his new mistress, sex slave. And Cassie, of course, is embittered at that and also cares deeply for other human beings. And so she's made up her mind to leave and risk being killed uh, escaping, and she's going to take Emmeline with her, and Uncle Tom says, yes, you can do this, and she says, Uncle Tom, we need your help to do it, because he's, he's incredibly wise, and he says, I can't. I'm not going to do it, but I encourage you to do it. And so she comes up with this incredible plan to escape, and uh, we're going to come back after the break and talk about this plan and how it succeeds and what the result is on Uncle Tom. This is Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this.
0: You're listening to Life, Death, and
1: the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. This is Sean Garner. I'm an attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson. We're talking about Uncle Tom's Cabin, and this is a book that you must, must read. If you don't like to read or you don't have time and and you're sitting in your car for a half an hour or so a day, get it on Audible. Go to the library. Get the library app. You can get it there, too. And you can listen to this book. The narrator is fantastic. So um, this is a book that is a must-read, especially in the divisive society that we live in today because it talks about the attributes that we all need to adopt – in order to overcome the hatred that we are developing with our fellow citizens. And there is no issue like slavery that is plaguing us today, but there are similar issues or, or, or other issues that are plaguing us that are creating a great divide in our nation. And this book teaches us, how to overcome them, and how to act as an individual. Even if we feel that um, the political system is too corrupt for us to ever stand up against it or just vote based on our conscience, if we vote for the person that we think is the best candidate, we're throwing away our vote, or if we speak out the way we truly feel and uh, might be blacklisted or canceled because we do it, then it's not worth it. This book will help you buoy up your courage to do what is right, regardless of the consequences, because it teaches you the true purpose of life is not just to try to avoid obstacles and hardships here. It's to develop your talents and your potential, your capacity to love one another and your patience. And if you don't do that, then you've really accomplished nothing and the life to come will be very empty. So, That is what the book really instills, and I think it moved the nation to embrace that idea so that this morality that all of us have within us was ignited to push harder against the institution of slavery and then ignite the Civil War.
0: I mean, we're not dealing with slavery today, but we are dealing with other issues that I think a majority of the population are just staying silent on, you know, like— Uh, at one time we talked about gendered bathrooms and we just, whatever, quiet. Yeah. And now it's like, and and I know there's other things going on um, uh, as far as, you know, uh, transgendered students and all this other stuff going on. But point being is now that's even more in your
1: face. It is. And and, and so what I'm encouraging you to do is I'm not telling you what your political beliefs ought to be and, and trying to argue and persuade you about them, what I'm telling you to do is look deep down in your heart, find the morality, what does it tell you? Your conscience is the Spirit of God in you, telling you what is right and wrong, and stop hushing it. Stop pushing it to the side and doing what's easiest. Follow it, and it may lead to hardships. Embrace those hardships. Those are the things that will make you develop as a character and create a better person for you for the next world because this world is is just a fleeting moment in the eternities. So stop just looking to make your life easy and go with the flow. Follow your conscience, and that's what Uncle Tom is teaching. And so he's down on this plantation in Louisiana. He's a slave to Simon Legree. And uh, he's being beaten because he refuses to do anything that is contrary to his conscience. He'll work all day long. He'll work till he dies. But he will not abuse another slave, and uh, he will not do anything that is immoral. So he does encourage Cassie, who is being abused and, and is now trying to save this girl, Emmeline, who is now becoming the sex slave of Simon Legree, to escape. He says, that, 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 that's a greater evil, and you've got to get out of here. And so she asked him to go with him, and he says, no, I'm not going to do it. And he says, well, I've, I've put a little bit of um, sleeping medicine in his gin tonight, and he's, he's dead asleep. You could kill him right now. So the search would be a lot less um, active against us if you killed him because there's an axe right at the door. You could do that, and he's like, I'm not going to do it. I'd rather chop off my right hand than do it. I, I will never do that. that is, that's an evil thing. I would rather suffer a thousand deaths than take another human life because I'm not going to embrace morality, immorality for any purpose. And that's Uncle Tom. Now, there's a lot of you that could justify that action, I might even be able to justify that, actually. I mean, the guy is a, a total bag, But anyways, that's how good Uncle Tom is. Plus, he sees that he is he's becoming looked upon by all the other slaves on the plantation as an individual of hope as somebody that he's preaching to them at night, he's reading from the Bible to them at night, and he's telling them that if they have faith in Christ, that they can endure all things, and this world is but a small moment. And so they're becoming more cheerful, and they're actually developing hope, not that they'll be delivered from their current circumstance, but because they understand that this life is is a small moment in the big scheme of things. And so he's, he's really helping the rest of the slaves there, and he says, I can't, I can't abandon them. So that's a bigger reason that he doesn't want to go and kill this, this slaveholder and, and escape. But Cassie does, and she escapes and goes up north, and um, Simon Legree, of course, finds out that Tom knows something about it. Tom doesn't deny it. He says, Tom, do you know something about what's happened here? And he says, yeah, I do, but I'm not going to tell you what happened, and You can beat me to death if you like, or I could be your servant and serve you, your choice. But I'm not going to tell what happened to them. And uh, so he says, "I, I intend to beat you to death. And so instead of doing it himself, he has some of the other slaves who he's promised to give a lighter load to, to beat him. And they do. They beat him within an inch of his life and as he's laying there dying they feel this deep regret for what they've done and he says i forgive you i know that you didn't intend to do this that you were you were persuaded to do this and i forgive you for what you've done and you need to give your souls up to Christ, your redeemer. And then they say, "Well, who is this Christ?" They're they're totally ignorant about Christianity. And so he explains to him to them the the atonement of Christ and how he's paid for all of our sins and what we need to do is accept that and and uh resolve not to continue to do wicked acts and he will save save us. And he says, "I would la- gladly give my life's blood even at this horrible punishment for you, your two souls to be saved, because I know my soul is already saved. And then Simon Legree enters the picture. And we come upon the last quote that I'm going to give today, which is probably my favorite. As Simon is standing over Tom, ready to take his life, Tom tells him, Master, if you were sick or in trouble or dying, and I could save you, I'd give you my heart's blood. And if taking every drop of blood in this poor old body would save your precious soul, I'd give them all freely as the Lord gave his for me. Master, don't bring this great sin upon your soul. It'll hurt you more than it'll hurt me. Do the worst you can. My troubles will be over soon. But if you don't repent, yours will never end. That... Is powerful. Tom has resigned himself to literally follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ by offering up all he has to save another and, and telling him in the face of death and in the light of being punished to the last that he's not holding any ill will against him. He forgives him in the very act of being punished and beaten to death. And if he could do it, if it was within his power to give his blood to save the soul of this evil master, um, Simon Legree, he would. Of course, Simon Legree has to participate in that and repent and come to Christ, and he doesn't do that, and Uncle Tom dies. But think about it, if more of us felt that way, if we had the contrition, if we had the compassion for our fellow beings, regardless of how they acted to us, to love them to the end, then we would have a society that functioned much, much more compassionate. The divide between Americans especially is small in comparison. If you were to walk into a grocery store and talk to an individual about what their troubles are and what their wants are and what their needs are and what their family experience is, you would find that 9 points out of 10 are similar with yours, even if you were staunch conservative and they were very liberal. But we tend to focus on the differences. And even if you identify those differences and still have compassion for them, then how much better off would we be? It doesn't mean that you have to lie down and allow the system to roll over you. It's quite the opposite. It means each individual stands up for what's right, and in spite of what's going on in the system, they do what's right, and that is what is going to change the system, and that's what did it during the the 1860s and what caused the Civil War, and a lot of blood was spilt to pay for that national sin of slavery. But we've got a lot of things that we need to atone for now in our nation. There's a lot of greed that's going on. There's a lot of indulgence. There's a lot of um, horrible things like sex trafficking and just crime is running rampant. And we need to become a more moral people and resign ourselves to be more Christ-like and work hard to better our society and embrace the, the spirit that will never lead us astray, and that is God's spirit within us, our conscience, if you will, to do what's right regardless of the consequences. Read Uncle Tom's Cabin. It's, it was a best-selling book of the 19th century. It should be the best-selling book of the 21st century. That's all the time that we have for today. We will talk to you next week. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today,
0: please call the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575
1: or visit yumaestateplanning.com.